Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Former Green Bay Packer, former Packer coach, former college football coach, as well as uh, game analyst. Uh, he is Bill Curry. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, first things first, I guess. What what have you been up to lately? Uh, what's been going on with Bill Curry? Well, like everybody, we've all been watching this worst case scenario with the coronavirus. Um, just wondering where does something like this come from? And then, as you read history, you find out we've been through it several times before, and every time the experts say, "You know, this is going to happen again." We all say, yeah, 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 and then we forget about it, and then all of a sudden it's on us again. So I've sort of, I've sort of been trying to study that phenomenon and, uh, and hope uh, that I can teach my grandchildren to keep their head on straight and know that this is not the last time this is going to happen. It's, uh, you know, we all, old football people, resort to football stuff, and when we're getting ready to scout an opponent, especially an opponent that can destroy you, uh, we studied them really well, each of their little habits, and um, it seems to me we could do a better job of, of that. I'm talking about all of us now. And uh, and then I studied the complexities of this situation. I mean, people need to go to earn money to feed their children, but they're going to be exposed to the disease. I mean, it's just really brutal. So I've been doing that, and then I've done uh, some Zoom speaking, and I've uh, – the nicest thing that's happened, and a lot of my former players have reached out, and we've done some Zoom discussions and conversations, and that's been an unexpected uh, pleasure. So uh, we've been fairly busy, but uh, being in the house all the time feels strange. You know, Bill, and also, I, and of course, you talk about the pandemic that's going on right now, but I also saw a, a, a video that you had. It was a football coach, Bill Curry, in the huddle where you talked about the huddle, you talked about sports, you talked about the game of football and how we all kind of came together as one, black, blacks and whites, to, to, for one common cause. Can you talk a little bit about that video? Yeah. Um, uh, the origin of that thinking was uh, my rookie year with the Green Bay Packers when I walked in the training camp. I was the last draft choice, and that's not always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, I had never been in a huddle with an African-American person. I had grown up in the Jim Crow South, and Vince Lombardi had many strong suits, but his strongest of all was that he would not tolerate racism. None. Ever. Zero. Uh, he had been discriminated against because of his Italian heritage, and so uh, he had more African-American players than uh, most teams in the league. I think he probably had more than anybody. Uh, and I thought those guys would hear my southern accent and hurt me and send me home. And I didn't blame them. Uh, that's not what they did. Led by Willie Davis, uh, they embraced me, 
sat me down, taught me how to act, uh, showed me what I needed to do on the practice field to make the team. And uh, I've been indebted to that group of people, especially Willie Davis, for the rest of my life. So that huddle is a manifestation of what I learned on that great team, that when people come together and we all sweat together and bleed together, we find out coming in and out of that locker room that that sweat smells the same on everybody. And we get busted in the mouth, and my blood's the same color as Leroy's blood. And all of a sudden we realize we've been taught to hate each other, and we decide, you know, that's stupid. We're not going to hate each other. We're going to love each other, and we're going to get along. And, oh, by the way, we're going to win, too. That's the byproduct is a great team. What happened? Well, every great team is just a bunch of guys that refuse to let each other down. So that's what that's about. Uh, Bill, this is Leroy Butler. Tell me about the mind frame of winning three straight championships, 1965, 66, and 67, or obviously the two Super Bowls. Did the confidence of Vince Lombardi and you guys and Bart Starr, just the team was just so stacked. How much confidence was in that team being the smallest market and winning the first two Super Bowls? Well, I wasn't here for the for the uh, third World Championship. My first two years in the league, we did work with two of those championships, mm-hmm. but I was put on the expansion list, so I was – and then traded by the Saints. They were so excited about me, they immediately traded me to the Baltimore Colts. <laughs> but that's the best thing that ever happened. It means I ended up playing for Lombardi and Don Shula, uh, nice. the two best coaches ever, yes. probably. Right. Uh, yes. Certainly two of the best. So uh, I didn't get to be on the third team, but um, you hit it, Leroy. Yes, his Lombardi's singleness of purpose the greatest halftime speech I ever heard was in Detroit my rookie year. The Lions were the only team in the league that were not intimidated by the Packers. The Packers were already being called the greatest team in history. This mm-hmm. is before they won three in a row. <clears throat> well, no, and Alex Karras and Night Train Lane were not intimidated by anybody. And they were killing us. It was 21-3 to three at the half. And we all thought, well, Lombardi's going to tear us to pieces in the locker room. He didn't even come in the locker room. We're sitting there staring at each other, wondering, what's going on? <laughs> With about 30 seconds left in the half, Coach Lombardi walks in. He looked around the room. He got eye con- contact with every single one of the 40 men. He said these words, men, we're the Green Bay Packers. And he turned around and walked out. Now I'll let you guess what happened the second half. <laughs> We ran out of the stadium. He did not have to tell us all that stuff about great conditioning and fatigue makes cowards of us all and your religion, your family, and the Green Bay Packers. He didn't have to tell us that stuff because he hammered it into our brains all day, every day, from the beginning of training camp until the end of the Super Bowl. He knew that we knew what we had to do. He also knew that the Lions didn't think we could do it, and uh, it was it was amazing. To, I didn't even realize what I had witnessed for about 10 years, and I figured out that was the greatest halftime speech I had ever heard. So, yes, he could refocus a group of men, and he didn't always have the best players. He would lose some of his best players and pick somebody up off waivers and win with them too. 
Mm. I'm not going to start calling their names because they they call me up and they'd be all upset with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think mm. one of the biggest things my defensive back coach was Mickey Andrews, 1964. He won. And I apologize for the uh, third championship. I apologize. Uh, he won 1964 with um, Bear Bryant in Alabama. He used to tell us stories back playing for Bear Bryant. Now, when as a coach, it's different. I'm sure as a player and a coach is different. <clears throat> but when you measure up to somebody like Bear Bryant, how does that impact like the community? Well, you can't measure up to those guys. You can't measure up to Coach Bryant or to Coach Lombardi. But what you can do is you can use their legacy and build Mm -hmm. on their legacy. For instance, when you take the field with an Alabama football team, you don't ever have to worry about motivation. Those guys already have been educated from the cradle. They know what's expected of them. Mickey Andrews knew what was expected of him, and he conveyed that to his DBs everywhere he coached. I watched him coach at other places. Um, That's something that you carry with you. That's a gift from a great, great football coach, and there are only a few of those in our history, and Bryant was one of them, and Lombardi was one of them. Shula was another one. Mm. Talking with Bill. Eddie Robinson is another one. There just aren't many of them. Yes, yes. Talking with Bill Curry, former uh, Packers lineman and the two-time Super Bowl champ, former college football coach uh, as well, here on the Wendy's Big Show. When you talk about Lombardi, you, you talk about some of his teachings and you talk about the togetherness that he had uh, with, with you guys as a football team, but, but, but also a guy that, that can motivate in, in many different ways. How was he able to bring all you guys together, though, as a team from different backgrounds? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, if you said a racist remark, you were, you were on the next Greyhound out. So that was a strong message, and everybody in the room, well, what did that mean to the men in the room? That meant everybody knew he was respected. He was not going to be, nobody was going to look down their nose at him for the reasons that we're now experiencing again in our culture because of what racism does to just absolutely destroy us. Um and it's been allowed way too long, way too much, and it's the white people's fault. And I, I take part of that responsibility. And we, our guys, our guys on the teams have made a huge difference. I mean, Willie Davis and uh, Herb Adderley and men like that, and John Mackey, the great guy. He was the first president of the Players Association at the Baltimore Colts and one of my best friends. Those guys changed the world, but we just need more, and we need to stay with it. And what what the guys had, because everybody was treated the same. Henry Jordan used to say, well, he treats us all alike like dogs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You could argue whether that was true or not, but everybody knew that um, we were respected or we wouldn't be in that room. Bill, think about, talk about the because I don't know you guys never even thought you'd see it, the shotgun as a center. I mean, me and Frank Warner is one of my best friends. He also runs kind of the player side, like the the player association guy to talk to the players. And we didn't uh, mm-hmm. with Brett Fire. We didn't run a lot of the uh, shotgun. Brett was under the center probably over sixty percent of the time, only in shotgun on third down. 
And then I was a cowboy fan growing up, and I saw Roger Staubach would kind of lift his foot, and they would do all this stuff. Just the whole way they evolved as for offensive linemen and how big you were. What was the average size of centers back then in the 60s? Did y'all have any 300-pounders? <laughs> I, was, I was 235, no. Oh, my God. What? Yeah. 235. Yeah I, yeah, I couldn't play safety today. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't. Um, plus, I I couldn't run well enough to play anything. But um, the average size was probably two forty, and a wow. big guy, really big guy. Jim Parker was the all-world offensive tackle in Baltimore, and uh, selected as the outstanding offensive lineman for the first fifty years in the NFL. And I think he was 275, 280. He was considered to be really big. So the game has changed. And anybody from our era, the lineman that tells you that he could play in this era, you can just smile and pat him on the head. <laughs> you know, so, when you look when you look back, uh, Bill, I saw that the, the Georgia State program did not have a football program until you took it over. What, 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 what? got into you that okay i can get this started at georgia state and make this thing make it a go <laughs> well, that's what i that's what i wondered a lot of nights but god is yes but uh, we both my wife and i grew up just outside atlanta both our parents worked in downtown atlanta and rode the trolley in and out of town forever so we had a lot of affection for downtown i went to georgia tech which is right next to downtown she, uh, when our kids got to be school age, she had her undergraduate degree. So she went back, and the only school that would let her take classes at odd hours was Georgia State. So she mm. earned her master's and her Ph.D. in history from Georgia State. It took her 14 years, but there's no other way she could have done that, and it was life-changing for us and for her. So we had enormous loyalty and the fact that Georgia State wanted to play football we thought that was a great thing for downtown Atlanta and sure enough it has turned out to be just that now Georgia State has a beautiful stadium it used to be the Braves stadium and they're actually playing halfway decent football uh, much of the time and the best thing of all virtually all those guys that came and joined us in 2008, 2009, 2010, have graduated. Georgia State mm -hmm. graduates more African-American students than any other institution in America other than historically black institutions. So uh, we, we are thrilled to have been a small part of starting that program. That is truly, truly amazing. Uh, so let me ask you, do, now, Coach, do you like to be called Coach Bill? Because sometimes Coach Bobby, Coach Bobby Bowden, he said, just call me Coach. He didn't necessarily like to hear Coach Bobby Bowden or Coach Bowden. He wanted his players to just call him Coach. Is that a preference you like when you do your speaking engagements? Yeah, just Coach or Bill. I mean, either, okay. either, either one of those is fine. Yeah, because the reason why. A whole lot, I, I, <laughs> I bet. Called a whole lot of other things through the years. When we had that strike in 1974, and John Mackey talked me into being the president after him, everything you've read about Kaepernick was written about me, uh, except mm -hmm. for the flag stuff. We didn't get into the flag, but 
I mean, we were ungrateful, overpaid, disloyal. Our average salary was about $25,000, so we were overpaid and ungrateful for asking for um, an improvement in the pension plan. But um, that's what's going to happen whenever you mm-hmm. take on the league. You know, yeah, it, I think, Go ahead, Gary. I want to play a little snippet of – because, of course, where we are in our country today, and I thought this was just – fitting to where we are. I just want to play a little snippet and maybe you can comment on it afterwards of this, um, what I saw about the huddle. I was so distraught. Ask God to help me understand this thing. Why would somebody think it was important to play a football game on Friday night in Atala, Alabama? Why does it matter in Pueblo, Colorado? Or Oklahoma City, Oklahoma? or upstate New York. And it came to me, it's the huddle. And it's the huddle, because you can't step in the huddle anymore and be a racist. You can't step in the huddle and say, I'm not playing with that guy, he's a Muslim. You can't do that. Because everybody's welcome in that huddle. And what happens in the stands in Atala, Alabama, in College Park, Georgia, and all across the nation on Friday night? somebody's child scores a touchdown everybody hugs they don't stop to see what color this pigmentation is i'm not hugging you because no you hug because your team just did something and that huddle is emblematic of what america could be it brings the community together in ways that the rest of our culture has not arrived at And I never thought of the huddle like that until I heard you say those words here in the last couple of days. And to me, I thought it was very emotional. Powerful. Very powerful. And you've been around for a long, long time and seen a, a lot of things. When you start thinking about that, what, what made you come to that conclusion, Bill? Well, I was... Um... I was agonizing because it, it was really two days after the Twin Towers fell, mm. and uh, ESPN had changed our assignments. They didn't put any of us on airplanes, so they changed our assignments to to where we could drive to where we were going to do the game. So I was driving to Birmingham to do the Alabama-Southern Mississippi game if the games were going to be played. And... Um, I got to Atala, Alabama, and stopped for gas. And the filling station guy said, well, are we going to play these games, Coach? And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, ESPN, if, if, if they, the NCAA is meeting to decide whether we're going to play. And if, if I get a phone call while I'm at your station, you'll be the first fan in America to know. <laughs> well, sure enough, the phone rang, and they said, go home. We're not playing. So I walk up to this guy behind the counter, nice guy. And uh, I said, uh, well, we're not playing. And I'll never forget his reaction. And his reaction is what spawned those thoughts that you just heard me say. He looked me in the eye and he leaned forward. He got my attention. His eyeballs bulged and his jugular stuck out. And he said, well, let me tell you something, coach. Come Friday night in Atala, Alabama, we're going to play football because it means a lot to us. So I went and got in my car 
I felt like he had slapped me in the face. Um, and I asked God, show me, what am I supposed to learn from this? Please. I don't get it. Who cares if we play a football game on a Friday night when we're just in the middle of a national disaster and we don't even know who the enemy is yet? And it came to me that that's the time that our communities come together. On Friday nights, over a million children play football in America. And yes, football's got problems, but it also has a magnetism that nothing else in our culture has. And it pulls us together the way we ought to be at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But we aren't, are we? No. But we are together on Friday nights with our children. And we all back each other's children. And when somebody's kid scores a touchdown, we don't stop to see what side of town they came from. We just hug and we celebrate our team working together. And that's what America's supposed to be. America's structured such that that's what works. And unless we get to that, we won't make it. Follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow, at Coach Bill Curry, at Coach Bill Curry on Twitter. Phenomenal interview. Coach, thanks a lot for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Coach. Thank you, man. Great to be with you. You betcha. Take care. There he is. Mm Uh, former coach Bill Curry here on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. As your passion are growing your home, a Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.